Everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Private Suite Podcast. I'm Indy Advent, and today I'm very excited to be sitting down with my friend Corrupted Datacorp, also known by his other alias, Dead Disk Drive. Welcome, welcome. How are you? Doing good. How about yourself? Fantastic. I had a wonderful day at work, and I'm having a wonderful time working right now after work. So yeah, it's been good. Right on. Yeah, same here. It's been a pretty good day. Just looking forward to this interview <laughs> nice nice yeah thanks for agreeing and coming on board to do it we're really looking forward to having you it was actually a suggestion from someone on the team so awesome right on well thank you for having me anytime how was your day today it was good it was good it's just uh, very busy i'm a full-time student and also i work two jobs so it keeps me very busy <laughs> two jobs yeah <laughs> wow uh, not both part-time, I guess, then, right? Yeah, both part-time, for sure. <laughs> While being a student. Is that, uh, I notice on your Instagram, you're a CS student, a programmer, a game developer. Mm-hmm. Is it, are those any of the um, the jobs? God, or? I wish. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I sure. just, I do a couple of stuff just around, like, the university just to help pay the bills. But that's the goal is to one day eventually go into a game development software dev, dev that kind of stuff. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Uh, maybe we'll come back to that in a bit. Cool. Um, so, you're a musician. You mm-hmm. you produce music. You put out tapes yourself mm-hmm. of your music. Um, so, I'm curious, how did you get into music? And then maybe we can talk about how you got into vaporwave. Yeah, yeah. So I um I first got into music. Uh, a couple of friends of mine wanted to uh, to start a hardcore punk band, actually. And I didn't really know anything about music, but a buddy of mine was like, pick up the bass. It's really easy. And so I did and just absolutely loved it. So much fun. Nice. And that was, yeah, that was sort of where I like had the kind of inspiration to be like, wow, I actually really enjoy making music. And then eventually uh, I settled down into a little bit more of a style as uh, as dead disc drive first when I was kind of listening to a lot of like harsh noise and just these weird drone soundscape albums and it was kind of like the first thing that i was like oh wow i really enjoy actually creating this and making electronic music wow so how soon did you blast off into electronic music after you picked up the bass and were jamming out um i think it was right around the time that actually the band sort of we just kind of dissolved a little bit uh and i was just like needing some kind of creative outlet and I was just listening to a lot of noise records at the time and I stumbled upon a few tutorials of just kind of how to make simple drone music and that kind of stuff. And it was really exciting to, uh, to actually find and then be able to make and have something that was like, Oh cool. This is something unique and different that I made, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, it's so neat to hear the records. I don't know if what's on Bandcamp is, is the first stuff that you made, but yeah, those- the, the, is it really? Wow, that's incredible. Because mm-hmm. thank you. <laughs> the I guess it it's, goes under the alias Dead Disk Drive. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I should probably kind of clarify this up front. I operate under two different aliases. The uh, the Vaporwave Vapor Trap one is Corrupted Data Corp. That's how most people in the scene know me. 
And then I also operate as dead disk drive. That's kind of my like general ambient alias, just sort of kind of all other things, just musical that I kind of want to do. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Yeah. A lot of people seem to be splitting up their work into different projects. Yeah. I think it's especially prevalent when you get people that have a lot of different ideas and want to go for a lot of different sounds. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Which I mean, yeah, it's part of creating music, I think, because you discover new sounds and ideas that are really exciting. And they don't always fit under the current alias or style that you have going. So it's like, well, time to make something new. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's a beautiful thing that we can do that in this genre because we're not tied down sort of like other genres. Yeah, we're not really tied down by like well, most people. I don't think are generally tied down by specific like labels or record contracts or anything big. So they can release music under some new aliases, aliases and keep that known or unknown or yeah it's just it's exciting i remember when 2814 came out mm -hmm. and i didn't know who it was like i just thought it was a new thing for maybe a year yeah <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> hard to I know, keep it's track crazy. it's crazy when you discover artists like wait this is the same person who did that like i didn't realize uh 2814 and hke were the same well HK and telepath were all the same like until I actually like really started looking I'm like wait a minute what these are the same people that's awesome yeah so fans of all of their work <laughs> separately <laughs> yeah so and then when did you discover vaporwave after your noise I don't know if you want to call it a phase but yeah sure <laughs> I think I kind of first discovered it um like with a lot of people just sort of floral shop is I think like the, the gateway point to vaporwave um, and then eventually I discovered a lot of telepaths work through that, just kind of YouTube recommendations. And I was, I discovered the subreddit just after that. And I was like, wait, there's a full genre dedicated to this. This is awesome. And I think it just really captivated me because I love that like kind of eighties, nineties nostalgia vibe. That's always been something that I've just like really appreciated. And so to kind of see that captured in music with not only just a sonic aesthetic but a visual aesthetic is really cool mm -hmm. <laughs> so it just i once i discovered that i was like yeah i really want to make something that's just a, some kind of vaporwave album <laughs> yeah wicked <laughs> uh and i guess vaporwave sort of grabbed a hold of you and you were like okay we're not looking back or are you thinking of maybe releasing some more work under different aliases too Oh, yeah, potentially. I mean, I think the kind of the beauty of not like having necessarily like like being owned by a label or anything is I can just sort of release under different aliases. I thought about doing some kind of like heavy ambient vapor release, something like really dark and weird, just different. Because, uh, yeah, I don't know. Because, yeah, this thing could be a lot of fun. So much freedom to experiment. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of the beauty of the genre because there's so many different subgenres and categories and just different sounds that you can hear. It's a very, very broad genre. Yeah, there's just, I don't know, there's so many different sort of themes that are yeah. th that have been popping up over the years. Like you have, you know, your, your dead disk drive mm -hmm. um, alias or project certainly has a theme to it. And that's something I wanted to dive into a little bit, actually, if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. Um, like, you have sort of poems almost at the bottom of your Bandcamp releases, like under the track list. Mm -hmm. And I feel like those are such nice 
additions to uh, help immerse you into the universe that you're you've created for people. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's one thing that I've always really liked is Bandcamp's ability to put a little description underneath the album because I think uh, one of my favorite things about making a lot of the albums, especially a lot of like the big kind of overarching theme albums like I do, is just the ability to kind of immerse a listener in some some experience, whether that's like a space exploration or some fizzy vapor trap or like heavy cyberpunk world, just something to kind of add to that experience before or during the the listener's experience to like really just kind of get sorry i am not articulating myself right here um it's something to just kind of add on to the the experience of the album a little bit and helps get the the listener immersed (laughs) absolutely man like i i just the imagery is crazy when i think of your records like the the wording that you use it's so reminiscent (laughs) of like or you know, or late '80s, early '90s computing with you know all these error codes and text <laughs> files and programming language and you know references to machines and industry and I think on one of them you were talking about like a vicious like snowy universe of some kind. It really yeah. like, teleported me while listening. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's it's it's a lot of fun to have little little poems like that at the bottom and just to kind of help with the just kind of experience of an album because I'm a firm believer in long lengthy album experiences rather than just like a couple of tracks here and there because it's it's exciting to send a a listener somewhere, you know. Yeah, for sure. I can certainly tell that you're passionate about doing that. Uh how speaking of that, how do you come up with the I mentioned themes mm-hmm. for the records, like all these discs and ancient drives crumbling and stuff? Like, there's certainly a universe you're constructing. It's how did you put it all together? Where did you initially get the idea? I think with that, um, I was just working on so that specific one that the my first expedition of corrupted hard drive. I was taking a lot of these like random noise samples and sounds that I generated just with like importing random like executable files into Audacity and that actually generates random noise and the computer doesn't know how to interpret that as audio. And I was taking that and stretching it out and it just kind of created like in my mind this weird landscape of just snowy, just corrupted data and just kind of all this different weird imagery. And so I think that's generally how I I go about finding a concept for an album is finding a sound or something simple to kind of latch onto and then letting it kind of paint a picture in my mind. So like with digital dimensions, I was it's a synthy kind of synthwave ambient 80s influenced record and I was going for this very like nostalgic warm sitting in front of an old computer like vibe. Uh and so that sort of influences the way that I make the covers and then also that I make the rest of the tracks once I have a set idea in mind. Mm -hmm. One of your quotes on the, uh, what was it? uh, Digital dimensions record is that when in your little poems that I was, I don't know if they're poems, but I like to think of them as that (laughs) is uh, you'll be transported to a unique world of warm neon colors, LEDs, technicolor fusion and soft yet powerful synthesizer sounds. It's like, (laughs) whoa. And that's just one little sentence. Oh, as a part of the giant paragraph, maybe there was two. 
I don't know. It's just really, it's really special to me. Thank you. Yeah. And I, think, I think to a lot of people as well. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. And I kind of like to, to hone in on the sort of like how like the eighties and nineties would look at computers and like the future, just kind of like this, ex- these exciting descriptions of, Oh, these like computers and all this fascinating technology and just sort of capturing that like inner sort of wonder about just computers and tech and just generally the things that I am putting into my emotion or putting into my music with emotion. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you grow up with that sort of stuff? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm a child of the 90s. So I kind of grew up with just like old, a lot of old computers. And I've always been really fascinated by like how they work and just especially to the sort of fusion with like synthesizers. Like I've recently been really getting into synthesizers and just how they work and it's it's really exciting and i just kind of want to transfer that that feeling of like wonder and excitement and just hearing something totally different and being totally immersed in something in the albums that i make yeah for sure i can i can get that and uh that record declassified space exploration from dead disk drive Mm -hmm. um the spacey record that's also a great record for i mentioned being transported somewhere uh so if you're looking to you know blast off into a different dimension or go into the cosmos like i felt like uh definitely check that record out declassified space exploration it's really really nice and that's only your second record right yeah yeah that was the second thing that i ever ever made and that was still kind of <laughs> it's kind of funny, but I was still sort of learning the uh, the basics of how the DAW worked at the time and just really learning about how like these synths worked and also making music simultaneously. And that was just sort of this result of that. And it, that one was a lot of fun to make. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, yeah, the synths are definitely key. Yeah, beautiful record. Um, and where where did you get the samples from or where where do you get your samples from? when you're when you're sampling uh a lot of times i will generally find them from it just depends on kind of the theme of the record um for a lot of them i'll find just weird obscure like computer advertisements or just like space sounds like that one was from like a bunch of old nasa archives where they have all these old sounds of like rockets blasting off and tech just like people talking and just little little samples to kind of immerse the uh immerse you in that experience of like listening to an album generally i'll pull those just from from wherever digital dimensions came the sample from that the electronic sound synthesizer actually came from this old video from like the 70s talking about synths and i realized like oh that would be a cool aesthetic to a very very old school retro synth heavy album (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it's a little different for something like uh like Bepis and Artificial OS, because those two were Vapor Trap records, so they're a lot more sample heavy. And for those, I generally wanted to like the the first intro track was me like cracking open a a Pepsi actually, just pouring it in there, uh, and just <laughs> getting that like yeah, it was like oh that fits the aesthetic. And then just different uh, like a lot of Windows sounds and a lot of weird little computer sounds, just kind of finding those and seeing how I could incorporate how I can incorporate them in my music. Mm-hmm. And you're a tape collector as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. I have quite a few in vinyl collector as well. <laughs> yeah. 
how did you get into physical media? Like I said before, you put out your own tapes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the uh, first time was I actually found a cassette on Bandcamp. It was some like random acoustic record. This was like long before I ever got into Vaporwave. Mm. And I found it and I was just like, whoa, like this is some ancient way to listen to music. Like no one ever has these anymore. This is really cool. Did you have a so that cassette was... deck to play it in? <laughs> no, <laughs> I bought it purely just because I thought it was neat. And then I bought a, found a deck at the thrift store afterward. <laughs> yeah, same. That's what happened to uh, me too. Yeah, and then when I discovered Vaporwave and people were releasing all these albums on cassettes, it was like, awesome, I can expand my cassette collection. This is great. <laughs> and, then, and then at what point did it get out of hand? Oh, man, <laughs> it's still out of hand. It's a, it's a constant struggle. <laughs> yeah, I know that game, but but it's such a, <laughs> it's a, like, I don't know, I love my tapes so much, man. Oh, yeah, it's fun, too, and that and, like, vinyl, it's both of those it's just i think there's something incredibly special about having a an album on a limited physical run like that like you own something that the artist created and designed for you that's it's limited you know because we live in this world that's so connected and like you can download mp3s and copy and share and it's like those aren't necessarily tangible objects in the same way that like cassettes and records are and you can do so much with like the presentation and I don't know. They're just, they're really exciting to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I managed to pick up uh, most of your records, all but one actually. Mm, which one? Uh, Declassified Space Exploration. Ah, yeah. Those ones, those ones, I only did 25 of those because I was still really nervous about selling tapes at the time because it was the first thing I'd ever done like that. And buying tapes in bulk is expensive especially as a student you know we're like oh i'm trying to save money and (laughs) so (laughs) yeah (laughs) i don't even think i have a copy of that anymore come to think of it no i'm (laughs) pretty sure i sold all of those (laughs) i'm looking at my bottle cap right now ah for crystal beppus yeah such a nice like i was talking about physical media or you and those little tiny bits of flavor that people can add in really make the experience like push it to another level right like people love bepis like, i'm <laughs> telling you right so. now like, <laughs> that bottle cap is right here man i love that shit <laughs> thank you yeah no that was um it's kind of funny because i first sort of had the idea for just something little to include with it on that first uh declassified space exploration record just little mission photos and then for something like bepis i was like well what's something soda themed that i can put in there and then i found a a site that made custom bottle caps and it was like perfect and i think that's something i've always really loved to do with my physical releases is just incorporate something that is it just makes them a little bit more special whether that's like a bottle cap or a pin or little space photos that make it look like they came back from like a mission or something just something Mm -hmm. to kind of to sell the presentation and to make the the physical release a little bit more special Mm -hmm. no it really and it, it people love that stuff like it's connects you to the artist a little bit more as well (laughs) yeah i think so because i know that like there's a couple of labels and stuff like i believe secchio mart does that they have like little comics and paper cranes that they include in their releases and it's always so nice they even put like handwritten notes it's just little stuff like that that's like oh you can really tell somebody put some thought into this you know it's exciting nice little string yeah uh I remember Crunk Chris, uh, who we did an interview with, uh, he mm-hmm. runs Tiger Blood. He has a collection of all of his boxes 
from Seiko Mart. Seiko, I don't know how people say it. Yeah. And, and I don't know. <laughs> it's a, I saw him post it one time on the VCC, I think. Hilarious. Mm-hmm. But really nice at the same time. Yeah. I, yeah. I, what I actually do is um, I put the little cranes that they make in my tapes. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And eventually nice. I'll have a complete manga someday. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good old Sikomar. I have a bunch of their stuff. <laughs> yeah. They're great. Tell me how to pronounce that. Someone sit, tell me on Twitter. I know I'm getting it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm probably butchering it too. I apologize. I'll let you, I'll let you know. On the topic of you know, Bepis and tapes, what is your mm-hmm. process for creating the physical tapes, you know, the J cards, the tapes, did you design it all yourself? And that actually goes for all of your work. Yeah. Yeah, actually. So I, I really like designing all my own covers and all my own art. I think it's just, it's part of the fun of making an album is that you get to really have fun with the album art. And uh, specifically for Beppus, I know uh, I talked to Pat Chennington and he mentioned this on his channel, but uh for that record specifically, the cover was the first thing that I made because I was thinking of like, oh, there's this Beppus meme going around that's really funny. And I wonder if anybody's made a Vaporwave album like that. And sure enough, nobody had. <laughs> and so that was sort of how that came to be. And then specifically with the tapes, uh, a lot of those. So I actually work at a print shop, which is really cool because I can get my own J cards and labels printed and stuff. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. For super cheap, which is great. Um, and... With the tapes, uh, initially, for like the first few, I was duplicating them on my uh, the deck that I had. I like cleaned it and everything and duplicated them, which takes a really long time, even for a small amount of tapes. And that's part of the reason why my early albums were such a small run of tapes is because duplicating all tapes by hand takes a while. <laughs> uh, and so now I, I generally will get the, the company that I buy tapes from to duplicate the tapes themselves just to make sure that the audio quality is really solid on there. And generally, because it's a lot easier than having to uh, sit in my room and duplicate each little tape. And yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. That can be really tedious. I think (laughs) I know a lot of labels that do it themselves. And it's yeah, I I commend those people for that. Yeah, yeah, if I had more time, I'd probably do that. But (laughs) I'm plenty busy. Yeah, exactly. Plus when you get it duplicated like professionally it's a little bit more like all right cool you can at least ensure like the audio quality is solid and that like the deck i have isn't going to like play them back at a weird speed or record them at a weird speed or something yeah that's true maybe it gives you a bit of peace of mind mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah beppus was really popular it, it got a second run right yeah <laughs> i wasn't actually even planning on doing that but um yeah, it was. I was so amazed to see how fast that that first run sold out. It was just so incredible because the first run of tapes, the the space exploration one, that one just slowly trickled out over a few months, and then the Bepis tapes sold out within like a twenty four hour window. And it was just mind boggling to log into my Bandcamp and see, oh, fifty orders placed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so yeah, that one I wanted to put on a second run and then do it differently. Oh, and uh, by the way, that's definitely getting another run because a lot of people have been asking me about that and I want to do another run. So Sick. heads up, look out for that. That's wicked. And it got a press on Q rates as well. Yeah, yeah. That one was uh, that one was really exciting to do on, uh, I, I don't know if it's, if it's pronounced crates or Q rates. Uh, I don't, I don't. 
but yeah, that one, um, yeah, specifically with, with that, I actually reached out to a few different labels and none of them responded. And, and I discovered crates a few months after and was like, wait, you can crowdfund vinyl now. And sure enough, I put it up there and just said, Hey, if people want it, then here's hoping. And sure enough, it sold out and pressed onto wax. And yeah, <laughs> it's really, really exciting to have that. Yeah. So cool. Like the, the whole, the thing I love about that record is it's really, I always use the word distinguished in this podcast. I got to freaking find a new word, <laughs> but it is because it's like a, <laughs> like a mini, it's like a brand you've created in the vapor realm. That's like the soft drink <laughs> for like whatever vapor people call themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that I am honestly surprised that nobody picked up before but it was just yeah i just kind of saw the opportunity of like huh this is just kind of funny and it's something that just sort of worked when i made it and i think it's people i people like it i think not only because it's like oh it's it's decent music but because it it's also kind of an existing meme sort of an internet joke out there is like oh bepis this fake version of a commercial brand soda no it's really perfect <laughs> and and you pulled it off so well like it couldn't, it couldn't have been done better and that's the thing like there's when you think about vaporwave consumerism and the brands associated with that there's not too much out there to be honest there's one soft drink really right maybe <laughs> i don't know if like dr pepper's a thing maybe i i think i saw I that somewhere, but <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that'll be a future album. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But it's like it's Pepsi, Crystal, Pepsi, and maybe like Nissan cars. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, so it's I'm like, trying to think. <laughs> you really, you. I don't want to say you got lucky, but you, you grabbed a a large niche there. I think so. <laughs> it was exciting, and then to kind of go back to the tapes and the vinyl for a second too. Um, I think part of the the really fun part about making that was uh, if you look on the back of the tapes and the vinyl pressing, there's like a little nutrition facts, almost as if to to kind of imply that it's like a soda that you would drink. Yeah. And both the the cassettes and the vinyl have that little thing. So to kind of like sell that that presentation and to really hone in on that was it was fun. (laughs) You should make like five come up with your own flavor. Like they've got those soda machines where you can just mix and match, you know, come up with some with some stuff. Bottle it up. Uh, that would be great. Yeah, <laughs> you've got the. I caps. do like a remix album. <laughs> oh wait, you don't have the caps. Oh, I've got. I one have for a you. few left. <laughs> oh, a few okay. Caps left. A couple caps yeah. in the tapes. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you were mentioning that those records are more on the vapor trap side of things, which um, they certainly are. Uh, Artificial OS and Bepis. How did you get into yeah. the vapor trap realm? You know, noise oh. to vapor trap. Yeah, it's it's kind of a weird jump. <laughs> um, I think I just I discovered a lot of like the really big artists at the time, you know, Blank Banshee, Vapor, Cocaine Jesus, just some of those guys. And I just I really liked their sound. Uh, and I don't really ever listen to a lot of trap music. I don't like most of it, but specifically Vapor Trap just appealed to me. And it was something that I was like, oh, there's not a lot of new releases coming out of this scene. Maybe I could put my own flair on this. And then that was sort of how corrupted data corp came about was just 
trying to to put my own flair on vaporwave and to do something that wasn't just all old like samples of old songs to kind of just do something different and a little bit more just synthy because i was experimenting with a lot of synths and stuff at the time so yeah and some of the samples on bepis are actually vaporwave samples i think that's kind of interesting i don't I haven't really heard of that myself happening too often. I don't know if it's a thing. Like maybe it is. I'm just completely unaware. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't how did think that so. uh, happen with uh, sampling Blake um, Yeah, <laughs> I think with that one, like I said, when I first discovered a lot of the Vapor Trap, I was just really into his work. I mean, the dude is a genius. Like he's really good. And so I wanted to kind of put my own spin on a Vapor Trap song since i was or one of his vapor trap songs since i was already making a vapor trap album uh i'm not sure if it's super common to sample other artists work and uh <laughs> yeah that was just one of those things that i wanted to just kind of see if i could do because i'd never really like delved into to remixes before and i wanted to see if i could sort of sample blank banshee and turn it to like this other weird vapor trap thing which is funny because even he sampled another artist so it's this weird meta thing going on <laughs> it's crazy well i think the original song is aquatic ambience from donkey kong right yeah yeah i'm pretty sure and then someone else sampled it and then blank banshee sampled it and now you sampled him it's like how much <laughs> more vaporwave can it get i know i know <laughs> and the other thing too is like that's uh with that one i didn't want to actually include that one on the vinyl release or anything just because you know, it's it's one of those things that it's like mm. there's a lot of controversy around like sampling other artists, especially within the scene. And I don't know, it's it's one of those things that's like best to err on the side of caution. <laughs> For sure. So you didn't end up including it? Eh? Uh, not on the vinyl release. Yeah. Uh, no, I just I wasn't sure. And I didn't you know, I didn't want to start anything. So it's kind of part of the reason, too, is I also used other samples from from bigger songs on that record like the the track silent hill 2 samples a song from silent hill 2 and no disconcerted has like ps2 samples on it and i was cautious about using sampling especially when crowdfunding a record through crates because i didn't want them to shut it down and say no you can't use these samples so. <laughs> yeah or just even after the fact have them be involved like they probably wouldn't want that yeah yeah because i know that like with a lot of stuff like with there's just been artists and stuff that have gotten in trouble for that. And so I put out the album with samples. And then that was why I did the alternate mix uh, for Bepis when it came out on vinyl. So that with those tracks, there's new tracks that are there to kind of replace those old ones, but still maintain the general vibe of the album. Right, right. Have you experienced any sort of challenges or obstacles in making any of your records? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> I think... The one of the biggest things actually was after I put out Bepis was like trying to to find another sound for my next record. Mm. You know, I, I I did a couple of releases as Dead Disc Drive after Crystal Bepis, uh, and so kind of jumping back into to Vapor Trap after I'd sort of gone to these other like styles and just different albums. It was it was a little weird. It was really hard to find a sound that wasn't just Bepis too. That wasn't just the same samples and the same sounds and so that one really just i it took me a long time to really figure out where i was going with that uh eventually i kind of settled on like a little bit more like computery old windows sounds and like this 
this very like old 90s AOL internet sort of vibe, whereas Bepis was a lot more like carbonated and fizzy and had a lot of chops and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> so it was weird jumping back into that that second Vapor Trap album because mm-hmm. <laughs> I like to to really like once I finish an album, that's kind of like the end of that idea. And I'm not super fond of just like reiterating on the same thing over and over. So I think that was hardest to still make Vapor Trap, but make it different than the first album. For sure. And also to not get caught in the shadow of such a well-received previous Vapor Trap album. <laughs> oh, yeah. God, I was like very, very surprised with how well that album did. Because Artifi- <laughs> which artificial OS or, or oh Bepis? no Bepis. Yeah, I true. mean I was very surprised with like how well that did and so to kind of follow that up with another vapor trap re- release like well I hope people like this <laughs> this is very yeah I was just, I was probably the most nervous to put out the most recent record artificial OS <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I bet but it sold out pretty fast too what was it within 24 hours or 48 uh 24 with that one as well and that one had uh, some tapes as well as CDs with that. Right, right. Yeah, I again, I'm I'm not surprised the aesthetic in Vaporwave, at least maybe not as much in, um, you know, well, I don't want to say Synthwave because that's not true. The aesthetic is huge there. But I don't know if people buy Synthwave just for the aesthetic, whereas I know people sometimes do with Vaporwave. And that doesn't mean... And I'm not saying anything about the music, but that's a huge thing for me with your Vapor Trap records and Corrupted Data Corp is the aesthetic, like the the thumbnails, the, you know, that four by four image that you come up with is just, it's so nice. Like with Artificial OS, you've got the manual for the operating system on a marble table, mm-hmm. Super 80s. <laughs> with a fern or a, a shrubbery of some kind, floppy disk, a, a, that kind of artificial-looking computer-generated water and a, yeah. a mouse pointer. It's, it couldn't <laughs> yep. be better. Yeah. It's so nice. And the, the framing of everything, too, it's just, like, nailed it. Thank you. Yeah, that one was, uh, that one was like, a really intense 3D render. Yeah. Uh, I was just trying to to make some kind of like weird old school. You can't really tell it's supposed to be like an old operating system box, but just the angle that it's at. Uh, but yeah, that one was that one was a lot of fun to make. I think that's like a huge component of a lot of the the vaporwave releases specifically that I make is the uh, the visual component because I think that's a huge part of vaporwave. I think part of the reason, like you said, that people like some of these albums because there's like a really solid visual aesthetic to go along with the music i have a computer it's it's kind of a server it does a bunch of stuff it's a media center i've got a few kicking around Mm -hmm. just sits on the other side of the room there and often when people come over i'll just throw on this folder of pictures on loop Mm -hmm. and what it is is like if we're listening to music or playing fighting games or something it's just it's not only vaporwave aesthetics it's album covers that i love and i'm it's just like a way for me to kind of re-romanticize all the ideas that i had and the the love and feelings i had for the records when i first experienced them just on loop over and over <laughs> that's awesome that's really cool i know too that uh i 
pretty sure. Yeah. So if you, uh, the digital album of artificial OS has like a couple like old school, like wallpapers and stuff for that too. Cause it was just like rejected album art. And so I was like, mm. Oh yeah. So that would be like perfect for that kind of thing. So just sort of like have the stuff on in the background. Yeah. No, damn. <laughs> that's really cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, I thought that was a manual, the artificial OS thing on the table. Not the, it not does the look box. like it, yeah. Just because, I'm looking at the art right now. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely well, kinda, looks like it. Now that you said box, I'm like that could be a box too. But yeah, I thought manual because of something I mentioned it before a few times. The poetry ah, that you use, yeah. So it kind <laughs> of for me matched the aesthetic there or the vibe. Yeah. No, I could totally see that. I could totally see that. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna be reading about. You know, floppy disk errors and all this kind of stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like the high tech world of computing. I I love capturing that really cheesy way that the eighties and nineties described computers. Because we look at it now and it's like, well, yeah, that's that's what it is, but they had such a like wonderment for for like new operating systems and all this stuff that it just it was fun to kind of capture that. I miss <laughs> that that era. Like everybody was excited yeah. about technology. Now it's like new iPhone. Yeah, <laughs> it's like great. Fantastic. Another one of these. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know. But I guess that's that's only natural. It's bound to happen. <laughs> and it, I, I thought for a while, I guess that part of the idea with the the journal or the manual for the operating system was kind of a nod back to your previous work with Dead Disk Drive. Yeah, I think that's that's sort of what it was supposed to be a little bit. I think I generally find a lot of my releases are sort of relatively related to computers or computing in some way. But specifically with uh, with that, I think it was kind of a nod back to the a lot of the other things that I've been doing. Mm-hmm. Keep it under one cohesive but very broad universe. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. I never really thought of my albums like that as like a single universe. <laughs> I think it could fit. Cubi- yeah. Cubism, definitely. Um, that <laughs> one didn't get a tape. I don't I don't know. No, I didn't do any tapes on the EPs, uh, mostly because, and I know you mentioned this before uh, with like the, the physical releases, but specifically for Vaporwave, I think people tend to gravitate towards those for the aesthetic, whereas like I have Digital Dimensions out. That album's been out for like, over a year and i still haven't sold out on the the tapes on that and don't get me wrong i'm not complaining but i'm just saying like i think a lot of the reason why people like the the physical specifically for vaporwaves because it captures like a specific visual aesthetic that's that people like in in that i don't know what you call it in that genre i don't know if that could be the case but it also might be an indication of how much more people in vaporwave buy tapes than in synthwave or outrun oh yeah for sure it's it's really weird to like see especially too across just different vaporwave releases on bandcamp you find that like a lot of vaporwave releases especially the bigger ones will get taped or vinyl runs or even like mini discs and stuff whereas i don't think you get that even with like other retro genres maybe synthwave but yeah it's it's specifically prevalent in in vaporwave mm-hmm. yeah i know there's new retro wave yeah they're, they're they're the biggest for the outrun synthwave stuff and there's a few more i think 
uh, yeah, I'm going to butcher it right now, but yeah, there's a couple more smaller ones. I think they mostly do tapes though. Any other challenges or obstacles with any of the other records? Um, yeah, I think just like, I kind of touched on this briefly, but just the whole, like the, uh, the sampling in Bepis or the crystal Bepis was one of those things that like, I kind of have mixed feelings on. Cause part of it was like, yeah, it's a vaporwave release. I should sample. And then the other part of it was like, Ooh, I am very cautious about putting this kind of stuff on Spotify or releasing it through crates. Cause I don't want any to get into any like legal trouble or anything. Um, and so I think trying to capture the vaporwave aesthetic while still maintaining a relatively or mostly sample free kind of thing like artificial os is like 99 percent sample free save for a few like windows errors and stuff here and there um and just to kind of to capture that specific very 90s kind of sound that vapor with 90s and 80s sound that vaporwave goes for while not using 90s and 80s songs was it was an interesting challenge for sure oh yeah i can imagine it sounds like it <laughs> and um yeah like challenges with your production process maybe like you mentioned learning a new DAW what DAW do you use I use FL Studio at the moment that is so amazing (laughs) yeah it's it was really weird to go from when I first started making a lot of like drone and very like heavy long ambient experimental records to a little bit more fast a little bit more technical a little bit more just kind of like different records to jump from not knowing anything about music you know i'm not like classically trained or anything and just kind of slowly teaching myself and i hope getting better with each release (laughs) and learning the software a little bit more and like what different plugins and sounds and trying to find like that specific sound using the different tools that i have it's just Mm -hmm. it's so much fun so much fun so both Crystal Bepis and Artificial OS were on FL Studio? Uh, all of my albums are. Well, minus... Oh, yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, Expedition to Corrupted Hard Drive was... I'm going <laughs> to say this right now. I'm not super happy with this. Most of that was actually just done in Audacity. Yeah, the rest of my records were done in FL Studio. Yeah. Audacity's awesome, man. Yeah. <laughs> People you, are like, oh, you can't do anything. But you can a surprising amount of weird stuff that you can do in that Yeah. Program. It's like you have to relearn it. It's like its own version of Pro Tools. Yeah. Pro Tools is sister. Oh, and there's a free version of Pro Tools, isn't there? I don't know. I haven't looked I into think that I, very much. Maybe. I think then, because I remember hating it. And so like, <laughs> it reminds me of Audacity. No, no, it's great. Yeah. I feel like the learning curve with a lot of the uh, the digital audio workstations is really steep. It's really steep. And I found myself like relying on a lot of tutorials. I'm like, how do I do this? How do I do that? But once you kind of learn something like that, it is so much fun because it opens up so many possibilities for creating different types of music. And the fact that you, there's like so many plugins and sample packs and just all sorts of different sounds that you can bring in and manipulate is incredibly exciting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really a crazy time for music. Mm-hmm. It's like too many <laughs> options. It's almost intimidating. It's like, which one oh, yeah. do I do? Oh, my God. <laughs> Pick a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my friend and I are trying to learn FL Studio right now to make some beats and maybe some future funk. Nice. I don't have too much time. Like, I'm so freaking busy. But, yeah, I feel uh, that. <laughs> maybe, maybe one day I'm a Reaper guy myself. So, But you oh, can nice. make music in Reaper pretty easily. Yeah, I've, I've, I 
didn't I read some interview that I think both Telepath and HKE said they used Reaper at one point. Mm-hmm. That might not be true. I don't know, but I I feel like I read that. Take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> okay, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> so here's a brain buster for you. Mm-hmm. Would you? Uh, first of all, I don't know if you agree with this statement or not, but do you think? Vaporwave has grown in sort of sophistication, and if so, and you know you can talk about any of the micro genres, classic, vapor trap, Malsoft, I don't know whatever you want. Um, and how do you feel about the growth of the and the changes in sophistication? Ooh, that is an interesting question. I think it's there's two ways to look at it. Sorry, just before you answer. Mm-hmm. Um, one, obviously, the production, but two, kind of the way Vaporwave looks in at itself. Yeah, I think that specifically with with the kind of like moving forward and kind of growing as a genre, I think it's definitely done a lot of that. I think at the beginning, you know, and not to say these albums are bad, but they were just like relatively simple. You know, you got albums like Floral Shop and Echo Jams that were very, very just had a lot of weird sample chops, but sonically and like musically weren't necessarily like these super complex pieces and that doesn't make them bad they're just older records and it was unique and i think over time we've seen vaporwave branch off into tons of different really awesome subgenres and i think it's gotten a lot more complex from a musical standpoint of just kind of hearing the different unique things that people will do like some of these really bizarre and really cool like ambient heavy like almost just hypnagogic noise records that still fall under the umbrella of vaporwave and then some of like the dark like heavy vapor trap and just all the different sort of subgenres and whether they use samples or not like how they can still follow under that umbrella is really fascinating i think mm, yeah that's interesting it's like a new but yeah go sorry go ahead oh no go for it it's uh, it's really nice to be able to have the two different approaches or an amalgam of the two um, be friends, sort of. Yeah, yeah. And and side I, by side with one another. Yeah, it's really cool. And I think that like it helps open the door for a lot of like new music producers and just people looking for new music because it's just such a, it has so many different subgenres. You got like mall soft and some of these like crazy ambient records and just like there was a climate wave and just all like these very specific little subgenres that capture this very specific niche or this point in time and just this nostalgia that is so cool and it's it's neat because with the amount of records that are out in the genre you can always find something that captures a niche that you really like or that you have nostalgia for mm-hmm and I don't know. When I think of this question, I think of things like, you know, business casual that kind mm-hmm. of raise the bar a little bit for the acceptable level of quality. <laughs> at least, yeah. At least yeah. now and there's there's sort of tiers that have been created within the community. Yeah, I think a little bit. I don't know because I think I have trouble kind of like. I think it's interesting because there's the whole argument between like oh, what classifies something as Vaporwave? Does it have to be chopped up? Like, is just taking another song and slowing it down Vaporwave? To some people, that totally is. And to some people, they're like, no, that's that's not. And I don't know. I think 
personally have a lot of mixed feelings, but I think that just generally as a genre, I feel like people have wanted a little bit higher level of quality purely because the sort of like classic or just slowing down a song just kind of got oversaturated. And I think it encourages like it encourages a little bit more like thoughtful production, just interesting ideas to come about rather than just slowing down a song. If you slow it and chop it and just do it, do different things in different ways than it like. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't know where I was going with that one. <laughs> no, that's cool. I can dig it. It's also <laughs> neat how people can actually say, you know, I'm a vaporwave producer and that's where I get my income. You know, some people can say that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's cool. A lot of people have never even heard of Vaporwave, like not even yeah. close. And I feel like the other thing too is uh, it's also evolved a little bit because initially, you know, when it first started, it was like, oh, it's the sort of meme genre that's like a bunch of slowed down music. Yeah, exactly. But now it's like changed into this really cool capture of just all these these old old sounds and songs and vibes and just like things that people really enjoy and it's yeah it's just really neat to see how it's grown as a genre over time yeah for sure i mean like we have a physical magazine now yeah it's <laughs> wild it's great yeah it's like a indication that this is a legitimate venture you know yeah yeah i think too that the first the first kind of like rem like not rem is the first I don't want to say. This. <laughs> I think that the the first signs of vaporwave kind of becoming a lot more legitimate was when you started to see stuff like that, like when you saw physical magazines being produced. Which, by the way, great job on that. Uh, <laughs> and you got like like a lot of vinyl releases are coming out, and people are starting to realize, like, oh wow, this isn't just something that exists on the internet as just sort of a weird little niche. It's it's really cool and it's reached uh or is reaching a wider wider demographic and it's just it's really cool does vaporwave offer something to you that you don't get with other genres oh absolutely i think for me vaporwave and i've talked about this a little bit before but i think it it offers a kind of just and I know this is going to be super stereotypical here. <laughs> it, it offers us a, a nostalgia and just a jump into a completely different, a completely different world, a completely different time. You know, whether that's like a late night drive or some weird mall out in the middle of nowhere that's abandoned. Just like Vaporwave is able to take you to a place in a very specific and very like upfront way, you know, rather than having a lot of like abstract lyrics or something, a lot of vaporwave is like captures a very specific vibe or a very specific place. And I don't think you get that with tons of other genres. I mean, you see it a little bit with like certain conceptual albums and maybe like a little bit of like ambient and some electronic work, but I think vaporwave just inherently by design is, has the ability to just transport you to a completely different place. And that's super inspiring. And I love that about it. Mm -hmm. Well, you certainly are able to capture that yourself with your projects. <laughs> Thank you. For sure, man. Big fan. Thank uh, you. Do you have a, a favorite? And that's really hard to pick one, I know, but a particular release that stood out to you a lot along your journey through the genre? Of my own or of the, just uh, in general? Let's take it away. Not of your own. Yeah, in general. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
I think the first album that really like hit me and made me realize what a cool genre that this is is 2814's Birth of a New Day. That mm. album is phenomenal. Like it's not only one of my favorite Vaporwave albums, it's one of my favorite albums, period. Like it's it still falls under the umbrella of Vaporwave, but it was just so unique and so different and just has this way of taking you and dropping you in this brand new scene that's just so fascinating and captivating the whole way through. I think that record is probably my favorite. Nice. Yeah, that's a really incredible piece. I remember when I discovered it, I was kind of blown away, like, oh my God, what am I getting myself into here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially when the vinyl came out. Oh, I know. That's <laughs> so kinda, good. That was a tipping point for me. I was like, okay, we're diving in, I guess. Yep. Yeah, that was one of the first Vaporwave <laughs> albums I bought on vinyl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you must have a lot of a lot of vinyl and, and tapes by now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's pretty evenly stacked between tapes and vinyl and stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a lot of fun for sure. I've several more on the way right now too, so it's always something. It's fun to have something in the mail. Looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, it's Christmas every day. Exactly. If you were to try to predict, um, kind of the way uh, Vaporwave is gonna play out over the next year, what would you say? Like, what are gonna be the big micro genres? Um, maybe an artist that you think is, you know, well known, but it's going to maybe explode and things like that. I'm trying to think of an artist that I really enjoy that isn't already like relatively big right now. Like I've been really getting into a lot of eyeliner and us golf 95. Uh, both. Yeah. It's just so good. Uh, yeah, that's, that's tough. I think as far as vaporwave going for the next year, I, I think we're going to see a little bit more vinyl releases and a little bit more just, Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> oh, I know. That's why I ask it. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I know. Um, yeah, it, I think it'd be really cool, too, to see some bigger artists put out music under different aliases and just kind of see see how it's received. Mm-hmm. A big thing for me, because I ask myself all of these questions, of course, mm-hmm. is... Uh, not actually. Is... Uh, Ah, uh, here I F records, Cat Corpse label. Yeah, he's been silent for for so long. I'm like, what are you, what are you cooking up? Yeah, what's he planning? <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's gonna raise the bar, man. I don't know. Oh, for sure. I think it's also really cool how many really good labels and just really like solid, well produced releases that we've seen lately. Like I know. Plus 100 Records has done an amazing job with all their stuff. And just there's like so many different little labels out there that are just doing really, really good jobs with all of the records that they're putting out. And I feel like that's definitely raising the bar for for Vaporwave. And not only not necessarily for artist production, but just purely for like how labels are in, in the genre, you know? Mm-hmm. We are kind of seeing a split as far as the, um, the community and the consumers go the customers uh about maybe taking a stance on low production quality and malpractice within the community like i see some people um i see neon city flecker neon city records getting some flack lately and uh i think that's a good thing you know like yeah people feel like they may have been taken advantage of a little bit by 
I think people. so. I think so. And it's like, there's just certain re- labels and I don't want to name names or anything, <laughs> but I think that there are certain labels when the scenes kind of first started, that it was the only way to get releases or there was a specific record <coughs> that released on a certain label that like everybody wanted. And then it's just like, Oh, and it's just, there's certain labels that aren't always great, but then the ones that are great and know how to handle their artists and their releases and how to, like sort through some of the more like high quality releases and just get stuff delivered on time it's like yeah that's that's really cool and that's helping to i think have a better community not only just for like the customers but for the people making music too because i don't know yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. i gotta commend uh josh starkey and lost angles because and also colin from Wizard of Loneliness because I think mm-hmm. they'll they they'll make you a tape if you want one. And oh yeah, sh- yeah. And they'll ship it to you pretty quick. Yeah, I bought uh, something from Lost Angles recently. I want to say it was like a Windows ninety eight tape. Yeah, this is for the Soul by Windows ninety eight. That's what it was. Yeah, so that tape that I got recently off of Lost Angles was awesome. They were like super cool about sending all that out and just like yeah, it just seems like there's a lot of really really good labels coming up and really doing a good job they even like include little stickers and stuff and it's like yeah you you put some thought into this and it's cool i like that yeah we're finally getting uh you know enough time has passed for us to kind of see the difference between a lot of these labels and have kind of drawn a line almost at least some people have yeah for sure for sure Uh, for producers that want to take their work to the next level and create a sort of brand like I keep saying with their work like you have or you know a, a, a theme that actually feels fully fledged and like high like a high value product high production value all that um, would you have any suggestions or advice things they can do to yeah yeah I think honestly one of the biggest things is just like if you're you're working on an album or some kind of project like at least for me my big thing is to have some kind of big overarching theme in mind and to really hone in on that theme and kind of figure out how you can make your release or your album really form a cohesive whole not only with the music but with the cover art and like if you're releasing it on physical have something with it that adds to that aesthetic because i think especially in the vaporwave genre people really gravitate towards that and i think that's a big thing too is it's just try and focus on how the the work can be part of a bigger cohesive whole or were you talking more like like practical stuff (laughs) i feel like that's very general yeah that's a great it's very helpful but we can talk about practical stuff too if you want (laughs) sure I, i mean i not like super technical or anything but i think just like i think as far as as practical stuff goes it's oh man you know i don't know where i was going with that never mind (laughs) i think you have Uh, something valuable to contribute though you you've somehow uh, it's not magic (laughs) it's your work somehow it's your work ethic it's your creativity it's your ability to troubleshoot and be determined to figure it out you know there's a lot okay yeah all right now now i get where you're going with this question okay <laughs> i think that it's 
it's really important to not get discouraged by a specific like sound or goal that you're trying to achieve. You know, I mentioned earlier that it's it's important to be part of a cohesive whole, but at the same time, don't let that completely bog you down or discourage you or let any kind of like weird thing that you're missing or something that you feel like, oh, this really would be so much cooler if I had this. Just make what you want to make and make it unique. Make it your own. I think that that's, that's really important is when you're, you're crafting a sound that you find something that is uniquely you and is special. And even if it sounds like somebody else, to kind of add your own flair and your own take onto that, I think is, is really important. And is, I think it's, it's kind of an essential part of being like an artist of, of anything to find your own style and your own take and hone in your creativity on something that you are passionate about which is the most general thing but I feel like it's really practical especially for making music because once you have a concept or a theme in mind it's a lot easier to go from just oh I was thinking about doing an album or a project about this to I've have six or seven songs completed and I've committed to this idea and I'm excited about this idea. Uh, just hearing you talk about that made me kind of think about the length of time required to make a record mm-hmm. versus the length of time that you take to make a record. I don't know if that influences your... If I don't know if it has influenced <laughs> your success at all, but... Um, I don't know. I feel like... I think it depends on what genre we're, we're going for, right? Cause I know a lot of, a lot of vaporwave releases, like there are artists that'll release stuff like once every couple weeks and there are people that'll wait like two or three years. So I, I don't necessarily think there's like a general like heuristic that I measure my own, like, Oh, I, it's been too long since I've come up with an album. I think generally I just, cause I do this as a side hobby thing. It's, it's important to kind of, have a project in mind and let myself sit on it for a few months you know I don't just like to put something out there just to have something out there I like to really have a long time to sit with a record and to work on it to make sure that it's the sound I'm going for I mean I have right now probably like 50 or 60 different projects from just like that I never used or that are just sitting there or that are like abandoned from other things and so I think it's important as an artist to to let yourself kind of breathe a little bit and to say, all right, do I really want to include this track or is this filler or is it not going anywhere with this idea? Like it's important to kind of look at your work and say, all right, like where is this going? You know, and not necessarily in a gigantic scale, but just for an album and just, yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of like step back and absorb the big picture for a moment. Kind of like, I know I used to write a lot of essays. I still do. Like I've written articles, um, in volume six of private suite magazine mm-hmm. uh, you can check out a climate wave article and a uh, future funk article on a show that was in toronto pretty cool um but while i'm writing i always step back and say okay what am i trying to say here like to re- remember your thesis for making a record might actually be something worth doing yeah yeah that's really well articulated i think that's what i was trying to get at it was just like once you you have an idea or a theme, I mean, assuming that's what you're going for, right? Like personally, I tend to work with a lot of big picture, full album type of projects. But if you're more of the artist that wants to just really focus on a single track or like a little short EP that the tracks don't necessarily have tons of relation to each other, then that's awesome too. 
I think even at a, at a really small scale, just like finding the, uh, the thesis, as you put it, of that album or that track is, is really important. Finding the sound that you're looking for and where you want to take it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, kind of ten, tangentially, you mentioned, we, we talked about that you do a lot of your own stuff. You're a very DIY kind of guy. How did you get into um, mastering your work? Is that something you just, you're like, okay, you know what? I have to research this. Or did you have someone lend you a hand along the way? Um, <laughs> I'll be honest. I'm still not great at mastering a lot of my stuff. So it was something that I, I think after, after Crystal Vepis came out, there were a few people and rightfully so that definitely pointed out some of like the, the criticisms and like the mixing and the mastering of it was not the best. And so I think after that point, I started to realize like, oh, I really need to like step up my production here and and master that. And I just found some tutorials and different stuff. And I think it's it's definitely helped me along the way because it's amazing what a difference that a really good master on a track can make. And specifically, um, so Bepis, that was one of the ones. So when I when I put out the uh, the vinyl release for that album. I had to kind of remix and remaster the entire thing from start to finish because it was the initial mix wasn't like the they came back to me and were like you got to fix all this different stuff with it because it's not going to sound good I'm like okay and so I like remixed the whole thing and adjusted a bunch of stuff and then I also had them look over it and do a little tiny bit of mastering work as well which I think is why it sounds so good uh, and yeah I think that I don't know where I'm going with that. I'm totally ranting here, but <laughs> no, that's that's very cool, very cool. No rants on this show. <laughs> we have a question from somebody that works on the magazine. His name's Casino, and he's wondering what your ideal Sunday afternoon is. <laughs> oh man, I think my ideal Sunday afternoon is probably like sitting down. It's raining outside. Just a really mellow kind of day, and sitting up with my my whole music setup and just a big amplifier because I have like this really massive amplifier that I used to test a lot of my work and just kind of having that out and just jamming like that is just so much fun to me to just kind of relax and and just enjoy just creating something purely for the sake of it I think that's that's probably probably my ideal Sunday afternoon not slaving away over dinner nah (laughs) I've always been the type of person that gets typical Sunday afternoon yeah, I've always been the type of person that gets really excited about like creative endeavors and stuff. And so to to be able to be working on some project or some ideas, incredibly exciting. Yeah, free time is awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have two jobs. What little of it we have. You're a music producer. You're learning programming. You're learning game development. You're a full time student. It's mm-hmm. like, <laughs> do you sleep? Uh, not very well. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's also part of the reason why my records juices. take. <laughs> that's why my records take as long as they do to to come out is because I'm always working on like 50 million other projects. Mm-hmm. We have another question from someone in the magazine mm-hmm. from Sheepy Turtle. If you could remix any Vaporwave track in your style, what would it be? Remix. Oh, ooh, that's interesting. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about doing a remix of like, uh, one of the tracks off of eyeliners by now, uh, Pinot Noir. That's the one, uh, mm. 
I've been thinking a lot about doing just like a little a little remix of that. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Or potentially some kind of ambient release I think would be fun. Um, yeah. And then maybe some of Mac Bandit stuff too. Mac Bandit, you actually worked with him on a track on Artificial OS, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, he's great. How did that come about? Oh, man, yeah. So I think we initially met through it we were doing some kind of like it was like some big like album collab thing with a bunch of different artists and eventually that just kind of fizzled out but he and i sort of maintained contact and we're both i think fans of each other's work and so i was like dude you should do a track on this album and he was like yeah absolutely and then we are currently working on some kind of collaborative project so we'll see i'm excited about that too <laughs> he's a really he's a yeah, he's a very talented musician and a super cool dude, so he's great to work with. What are your thoughts on Vaporwave social media? It's a very popular thing right now. People are posting nonstop, it seems, creating all kinds of interesting aesthetics and memes and jokes and poetry. It's a really exciting time for it. And you have an Instagram as well. It's really interesting. You know, You have cool aesthetics. I don't know if you make you probably make a lot of those photos yourself like the the photo the the illustrated ones like the computerized stuff yeah yeah all the ones all the ones that are on my instagram i make those are those are a lot of fun and uh going back to your question about vaporwave social media i think that it's it's really cool to see how much vaporwave has proliferated just throughout social media you know on instagram and on reddit because i think it's it's evolved a little bit more beyond just purely here's some music it's here's music here's a visual aesthetic here's uh, a poem or just something that i wrote or made about vaporwave and it's it's cool because it's it's a aesthetic that i think translates really well across different social medias whether you're a fan of the music or not there's a lot of really cool art and a lot of really cool just vaporwave media out there like a lot of the the mixes on youtube where they just show like photos of empty malls or like old 3d renders and there's just so much of it out there and it's really exciting to see more than just the music how the kind of visuals have evolved with that and i think you especially see that a lot on on social media we almost have social media to thank for the i don't know if you want to call it a resurgence of vaporwave but it's definitely skyrocketed since you know 2016 2017 Oh, yeah, I think so. I think it's definitely contributed to that. And Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, just like all the little kind of the places where it sort of seeps into other, you know, spots. Yeah. Like I, I follow a lot of like 3D render artists on Instagram that'll make specifically Vaporwave art. And like they don't do music. It's just like the the art. And it's so cool to see how like it's just sort of crossed the boundary of just being a little internet genre into just this kind of neat little neat, bizarre, abstract community. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mentioned also people that may not be into Vaporwave may see the aesthetic and some of the social media and enjoy that or connect with that a little bit. And uh, yeah, I think with as people keep pumping more and more out, it's kind of an exponential growth situation where people that didn't hear vaporwave they like some computer photo for example like what you have here in your instagram it's like a a waterfall coming out of a 3d like apple computer or something like that 
No, it's Windows. It's Windows. Yeah, it's it's the old like my computer icon from like Windows ninety five, and there's a weird waterfall that's mm-hmm. coming out of it. <laughs> I know yeah, what you're like, talking about. If I didn't know Vaporwave and I saw that, I'd probably be like, that's a cool pixelated computer. I like computers. I like pixel art and gaming and stuff. Hey, oh, what do you know? There's Vaporwave. So, uh, you know, it's pretty neat. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting to see how there's all these little windows and places that you can discover this genre. You know, whether it's through a little Instagram post or whether it's through some song compilation or whether it's just through some random meme that you find somewhere that's like what is this vaporwave it's it's cool that it's made a resurgence and i think it's gotten a lot of people to not only appreciate it and consume it more but to get into the genre themselves which is also kind of funny there's that one meme that goes around with that uh anime asian dude who has his hand up and i think it's like a butterfly there but people replace it with something it's like is this vaporwave it's like <laughs> yeah, it was what was it? it was like the pink and blue color palette and then just like a couple of like I'm trying to remember what was on that, but yeah, I know exactly mm-hmm. which one you're talking about. One thing I noticed <laughs> on your Instagram was that you make music using Raspberry Pis. Yeah, yeah, that was a little just a little project that I was working on. Um I haven't put any of that music on my album. Like I said, there's a ton of different projects that I have that are just in the works, but yeah, I like to experiment with little stuff like the Raspberry Pi, and I had that eventually like running through a cassette tape and like warping the sound and just doing a lot of little different ways to kind of experiment how to make music. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it looks like you're a fan of re- just digital media, but also analog at the same time. So it's nice to, it makes, yeah, it's kind of funny that you use a Raspberry Pi because it's, you know, it's a digital thing, but we're going for this analog sound, you know? Yeah, I think that's kind of funny, too, just like the uh, the idea of making something and crafting something digitally and then putting it on this, like, outdated old physical <laughs> media, which is which is really great, especially it, it fits that aesthetic of, of Vaporwave so well just in general when you see these people that'll craft these, like, electronic crazy awesome albums and then put them on this old format then i remember uh discussing this with friends of mine they're like what why would you listen to music on a cassette that's so old i'm like no it's awesome it's great there's something unique and different about that it's vintage like i said i love my tapes i don't know oh yeah just same here holding it taking it out of the case putting it in the deck it's a ritual like i can't i can't not do it Oh, yeah. And I think, too, the, the beauty of albums... Or, uh, albums. <laughs> Let me try that again. I think the uh, the beauty of physical releases like tapes and vinyl records is that they kind of let you appreciate the album as a whole a little bit more. There's a more of a ritual instead of just like looking it up on YouTube in the background, just kind of letting it play. You're like sitting down and putting this thing in a deck or putting a needle on a record and experiencing that and there's a little bit more of like a appreciation i think for the the album rather than just having it an ad interrupt in the middle or something you know you're not going to get that yeah that's a really good point (laughs) i uh, i say that sometimes people always say uh why do people listen to records it's just a fad or they're just you know snobby or something but it's no it's not because the like you said it's ritual the experience is different you know especially when you have people over, like you say, okay, everybody, we're going to listen to this record now. Everybody, here's the art. Look at it. Look at it. <laughs> you know, like, 
it's like a, you yeah, sit around and you exactly. I don't know you can, there's just more of a a community sense behind it yeah and I think you know because we live in this hyper connected world where everything is instantly available with the single click of a button to have something that's abstracted from that I think allows for a greater appreciation you know whether that's like with friends and you guys just like sit together and like listen to a record or even just by yourself like there's just something so cool about like abstracting that in this world where we're constantly staring at our little screens you know yeah yeah exactly it's a it's a little bit of a break almost Mm -hmm. and it's kind of a chance to appreciate how incredible it is that those technologies came out so long ago like records came out fucking forever ago man that shit is microscopic yeah (laughs) yeah and it's it's really cool too to see to see artists releasing uh (laughs) releasing albums on just completely obsolete like formats you can't even find anymore like eight tracks and mini discs play mini disc players and just yeah burner phones who hasn't yeah burner phones that's so cool to kind of abstract that like hyper digital world into something that's that's old and different i think is a perfect encapsulation of vaporwave yeah i just think it's incredible that the technology they created forever ago is good enough to still be used now in a digital age and people will argue digital sounds better it's like if anything they sound the same but technologically yeah yeah analog has more room in it Mm -hmm. i think too there's also something really neat about listening to an album on a format that you know has its quirks like how you get a little bit of a hiss with certain tapes or how there's like crackles in certain vinyl i know some purists are like no keep it super clean but i think that there is something to be said about like kind of appreciating and embracing the sort of quirks that come along with physical media you know because it it's different it's not the same every time there's a little bit more entry yeah exactly it's it's like uh it's like a theater show it's why people still go to see plays at the theater because it's it's different than a film it's not gonna go always according to plan so it adds in yeah, a little bit of an yeah, extra element sure. there <laughs> yeah one of my favorite tapes i own is like this old distorted uh it's like this one i found at a thrift store it's full of a bunch of 80s hits and it plays back like twice as slow so it's super vapor <laughs> wavy and there's all these like weird dips in the music and just like interstitial like recordings of like clearly somebody was trying to record some list for something and it's in like mandarin it's so fascinating like and I have, it's the most vaporwave tape I own that's not even a vaporwave release. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're not going to get that anywhere else, you know? Yeah, yeah, true. I know, too, that there was there was uh, some guy that uh, uploaded all of the uh, the tapes from an old Kmart of all the different, like, Muzak and the little, like, Blue Light Special stuff. That I downloaded that and, and I, I play that. it sometimes. <laughs> Fun fact, there was a sample on one of those tapes that came uh, came onto Bepis, which is interesting. There's a couple of weird vocal samples that are chopped up from those. Oh, from damn. Those I'm going to have to update the whosample.com. <laughs> Let me just get into that right now. <laughs> God, yeah. I think, yeah, it's some, some of them. It's like one of them's like an ad for like, I'm trying to remember. It was some like weird dinner plate or something. And then that just became like this little, little weird vocal chop that I added. I don't know. <laughs> 
Also, <laughs> let me ask you a question real quick. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on kind of the remix versus an original piece of art and the idea of like if an album contains tons and tons of samples uh is it considered like do you think it's more of just like a remix or do you think it's more of an original piece of work and like where does that line like what's the difference between somebody making original art versus just kind of remixing somebody else's oh god well that's really cool thank you i get my own question thank you (laughs) but oh my god what a question Okay, uh, I think there is a distinction. I think people sort of gravitate toward people, toward releases that are, I don't know if you want to say more legitimate, but less sample-based, <laughs> um, just out of the the way it sounds. Like some people don't like choppy future funk, for example. Uh, so I think it like it really depends on what type of, vaporwave you're into for me i love future funk so i think you know like say or, or even uh saint pepsi's hit vibes that's an oldie and you yeah know, we wouldn't be future funk wouldn't be here today maybe without that record and that record inspired a lot of artists that don't necessarily make even make future funk so um i think it is important to consider um you know, we should have an open dialogue about this sort of stuff. It doesn't mean any release is worse or better than any other release, but it does add a sort of character to a release. And like I've said before on the podcast, what I like so much about your work is the branding and the themes and the the, the story I imagine in my head behind the work. So yeah, I think uh, it's all it's all fair game. To just keep it at a level playing field and you know hopefully we continue to see some really interesting new sounds being made i'm actually waiting for a new micro genre to be born uh, i think that'll be really interesting um, but yeah to get back to your question uh it yeah to me it doesn't matter too much i just happen to listen to music that is more sample based and I think it's probably more common to hear that sort of stuff. Um, you know, we have telepath and surfing. You now with your artificial OS. <laughs> um, so I think it's an exciting time for vaporwave that is being made sample free and with original instrumentation. Um, but I don't think it's any reason to start condemning. You know where we came from. No, yeah, I totally agree. I was just curious yeah. what your thoughts were on that because I know that there's there's a lot of debate in the community going on of like, oh, well, this is ceiling and this is vaporwave and all this. There's just a lot of there's a lot of contention surrounding samples and like how much is too much when it comes to to changing a release. And I just I think that's really interesting, and I don't think it's necessarily like indicative of whether a release is like good or bad because I like plenty of albums that are really really simple production wise but they're awesome mm-hmm. as a result of that so yeah, I just think it's really interesting to to kind of see like where people draw that line of like oh well like yeah I just I think it's interesting yeah <laughs> well, it's like I said before it's uh, a lot of music is made with the samples like there's no getting around it might be hard pressed to find oh yeah music that isn't but uh like yeah. w- weather wave like for oh, real quick go ahead oh, sorry 
Oh, just real quick. Uh, just real quick. I just want to mention this. I know too that like um, that like Daft Punk's original, like if all of their original records were um, not nah, you're good. <laughs> all their original records were like super sample heavy, and I discovered this recently that like most of their like really catchy hooks were samples, and I'm like, huh, that actually kind of makes me appreciate them more as a result of that because it's like they're recontextualizing an old sample and doing something totally different super cool with it and even if it's a simple change i think there's something to be said about like making it your own you know (laughs) yeah as far as the different genres go too, like climate wave for example has a lot of weather broadcast samples so then you can get into the, all the mm-hmm. territory of, okay, you know, what what exactly are we sampling? Is it music? Is it people talking? Uh, so, yeah, or like Mallsoft will do that with like people talking or a little advertisement or like squeaky shoes on a floor, just like little samples to bring you into that world that the album was trying to get you into, mm-hmm. I just think, are, are really Television cool. broadcasts and stuff. So it, I think it's, there's yeah. only so much room at least right now for vaporwave that kind of relies on that stuff for an identity. Um, some of it, maybe we can mm-hmm. fake in the future and make it ourselves, but I don't know if it'll capture that same essence of the original recordings and stuff. But I think, yeah, as far as sampling goes, just to finish up the question, uh, it's really important in the community. I think to n- note whose work you're sampling some people don't and I, the problem with that is obviously we can't do every sample especially if it's older stuff but if you know you're taking someone from something from someone in the community or that's making music right now maybe uh, you don't it's it's hard to know what the effect of that's going to be down the road because for example you can take a lot of stuff from somebody and make a success out of their work and by reworking it a little bit have them not see any success at all and then you know you eventually stop using samples and you make your own stuff and you have them almost to thank for allowing you to have the material to um, you know get your name out there and to me that's just it's kind of sad when that happens because those people were trying the exact same thing trying to you know they had the same goal in mind yeah yeah no i agree with you and i don't think that's something that's even exclusive to to vaporwave or anything i think that happens a lot even just in the art world in general of you know people taking and i think too that there's there's a definite distinction between taking a work and recontextualizing it and doing something different and just purely imitation or purely just like very very light kind of changes that aren't doing anything new you know it's the difference between like am i creating this because i want to say something or add something new or am i just trying to kind of change this in a way that i like it which you know and release i don't know i think that there's a lot of a lot of debate and a lot of heat about that kind of thing right because it's like where do you draw that line is it when an artist dies is it when they stop making music like I know recently I saw something Twitter that there was somebody trying to make music under the alias HKE because apparently he doesn't go by that anymore, which is crazy. Like, I don't know. I just think that there's there's a, a line between like 
imitation versus recontextualization and trying to do something different. And I think that it's important to celebrate releases that are doing something different, even if they do have samples or another artist's work, or at the very least, there's some sort of credit or... I don't know. I I don't know. I have a lot of mixed feelings on it. I yeah, <laughs> I just feel like the ramifications are unknown. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, like, I know, like, PZA got in a lot of heat for sampling a lot of independent sampling? artists' work. And just, like, a little... In, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my point. But, and then there's other artists that'll slow stuff down, and people are like, well, it's not necessarily stealing. I just don't like it. And it's like, well... I don't know. It's interesting to me where in the community we choose to draw that line between what is and isn't okay to to sample. Is it whether an artist actively putting out work or is it? Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like there's mm-hmm. a lot I think there. for me, the line is, <laughs> is that person trying to make a name for themselves and are they independent? Are they working right now or are they already successful and do they have a lot of backing and money behind them? Um, maybe maybe they have passed mm-hmm. away. Maybe they're freaking Bruno Mars. But I think as long <laughs> as you credit people, man, we're all stealing each other's work. Like that's yeah. A lot of the yeah. pop, a to lot of the extent. pop artists that are big right now <laughs> stole work. You know, like it's it's, oh, it's happened yeah. for generations, and corporations absolutely. have just seen that they can capitalize off of that because there's laws that say they can sue us, but. Uh, you know, as long as if you're not someone who's in that world, I don't think you should be stolen from and you should be credited clearly. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really good way of putting that. That's a really good way. Yeah, I think it's it's just it's interesting, you know, and it's something that like I've always tried to be to be conscious about, you know, if it's a sample, if it's definitely something that's noticeable is like, all right, got to credit this, got to make sure that I'm putting this in here and you know just being transparent about that because you know you don't want people like hearing something and you know thinking that it was all you and not necessarily just for your own recognition but just so that you, know, you can give the original artist credit like i got into a lot of funk music after listening to future funk and going oh wow well the source material is really good here too <laughs> that's a great point that is exactly how i got into city pop i was like yeah yeah like yeah, well, I was like, man, all these future <laughs> funk tracks are amazing. And I listened to some J-pop and stuff from back in the day. I like K-pop. Mm-hmm. I like anime. But I never really mm-hmm. d- discovered city pop. Maybe I heard a couple tracks. I don't freaking know. But it was yeah, it was yeah, uh, exactly. future funk, maybe probably Macross, that made me say, okay, well, where's this stuff coming from? Actually, you know what? Maybe it was just YouTube ag- algorithms throwing them on at some point the actual k-pop or the actual city YouTube pop. algorithms are amazing <laughs> sometimes they were great i feel like they suck right now yeah uh, yeah i think i think when you're able to discover hidden gems that you wouldn't have otherwise they're cool i guess i should kind of yeah it's it's not showing but, me anything yeah, similar like, anymore just show, the only one is <coughs> the, the next up that's the only one that's similar before i used to get just yeah crap loads and i would just control click them all and be like all right here we go rabbit hole yeah, the YouTube alg- algorithm is a dark, mysterious place that no one understands. <laughs> Constantly evolving. Sorry, I feel like that got way off topic. <laughs> it's all good, man. I'm sure people will love it. <laughs> Fair I'll enough. assess the situation. Fair enough. Um, 
Well, yeah, dude, that's that's pretty much all the questions I have. Um, I really appreciate you asking me a question. That was cool. Do you have anything <laughs> sure. uh, else you want to say before we uh, hit the road? Um, just real quick, a couple of things. First off, just wanted to say thank you so much to everybody that enjoys or downloads or even just listens to just my releases. Like, thank you so much. You know, it's it's really exciting to hear that you guys like a lot of these. And huge shout out to my boy, Pat Chennington. Thanks, brother. You the man. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, just a, a huge thank you to to everybody that enjoys my stuff, and yeah, it's it's really cool. It's exciting to see that the stuff that I'm making resonates with people. Absolutely does. And thank you for yeah, thank you, thank you for having me on here too. It was great to be here. No problem, our pleasure. That's what we do. Thank you so much for joining us, my friend. Thank you for having me. No problem. We'll talk again soon. I'm sure. Awesome. Have a good one. Thanks a lot. All the best. All right. That was fun. Definitely give him a follow on Twitter and check out Digital Dimensions. Check out Bepis. Check out Artificial OS. Check out all of his work. He's awesome. And thank you for tuning in. As always, we're going to leave you with a track. It's called Electronic Synthesizer and it's from Digital Dimensions. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time. We are looking at a machine called an electronic sound And we can't not play a track off of Crystal Beppis. This one's called Ice Cold.
Thank <laughs> you.